This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Neurodivergent Podcast. My name is Danielle Sullivan, and I am your host. Thank you very much for tuning in. Today, we have part two of our two-part episode. It's an interview with Charlie Ocean. Charlie is a speaker, trainer, and consultant for nonprofits, businesses, employee resource groups, and helping professionals around LGBTQIA plus or queer issues. Um, And they also have some really interesting things to say about their own identities as being a queer person and a neurodivergent person. And Charlie and I had a really interesting conversation as somebody else who's also on the trans spectrum and also on the queer spectrum and also neurodivergent um, about the ways that those kinds of identities can intersect with one another and bounce off of one another in really interesting ways. So today we're going to continue. If you missed last week's episode, that was our first part of uh, our, our conversation with Charlie. So please go check that out. Before we dive into the part two, I just do want to thank my patrons over at patreon.com slash neurodiverging. Thank you all so much for supporting our ability to make these podcasts. If you are not yet a patron and maybe you would like to be, please head over to patreon.com slash neurodiverging where you can find out about all the different tiers. Basically, you throw a couple of bucks into the pot per month and you get perks like ad-free podcast episodes. You get to join our neurodivergent parent affinity group. You can join our accountability body doubling support groups. You can join our group coaching experience monthly and lots more. So if you're interested, please go check us out. All that money goes to support our sliding scale clients and we really appreciate it. Without further ado, here's our part two with Charlie. Let's swivel a little bit if it's okay. I want to make sure we have time to talk about the neurodiversity aspect. Um, I'll speak for myself. For me, coming to that set of identities later in life after establishing lots of other identities earlier really made me readjust or, or even rebuild up from the ground up, like how I perceived myself and how I understood myself when it came to gender, sexuality, um, and all sorts of other things as well, other kinds of identities. So I wondered what your experience was like that as comfortable, you know, as, as much as you are willing to share, no pressure. And, um, you know, also if you're willing to share a little bit about how you came to the knowledge of being a neurodivergent person. Yeah. Well, let's just dive right in there. Um, <laughs> cause basically TikTok diagnosed me. It's yeah. almost embarrassing to say, but like very quickly it first threw me into like ADHD TikTok. And then I'd say within like two weeks or so, I was straddling ADHD and an autistic TikTok. I was just like, this is really interesting. I wonder why I'm seeing this stuff. Like, mind you, I was not looking up any of this kind of stuff previous Mm -hmm. to that. I've known friends who have been diagnosed, including people who were assigned female at birth and all that. And I thought that was actually really impressive Mm because we know that those stats are not as great. But I never like really looked into it very much because there was nothing happening in my relationship with those folks that I was like, I need to learn more about this. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and it, it's not because I didn't take it seriously or, or anything like that. It just, again, it wasn't impacting our relationship in any way that, yeah, I felt like I needed to learn more about it to better understand them or support them. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, TikTok diagnosed me and then I had to quit TikTok. I mean, partially because of the security <laughs> issues and also because like, I think I learned enough about myself for mm-hmm. a minute. That was like a lot. That was a big Take pill a to swallow. Integrate. Yeah. So I think I went through a range of phases or stages of like coming to terms with all of this. I mean, the ADHD was easier to embrace because that stuff just felt like it made a lot more sense. I like, mm-hmm. cause I'd be like, why am I laughing at these memes for ADHDers and stuff? Why does this feel relatable? Cause I wasn't thinking about my friends when I was watching those. Think about myself. I was yeah. like, I relate to this. Um, and then yeah, the autism, I'd say, was a lot harder just because, you know, being someone who's watched things like The Good Doctor or Atypical or whatever, I mean, you just you think of like a middle class white boy who's monotone mm-hmm. and brilliant in some way, but then socially awkward and whatever and meltdowns and all this stuff. Like, so like, I just I never saw myself in any of that. And so that was harder. Plus, like already being queer and non-binary and all these other identities I'm not going to lie. There was a moment where I was just like, fuck. And I, because um, I, I already know. And I already knew that the world was very ableist. And so I was just like, now I have to like advocate and carve out spaces for myself with these two things too. Mm-hmm. And I, I was not happy about that at all. Plus it felt like, I mean, the joy of it was being able to find community and to have like names to this stuff. Cause I would have never figured out these seemingly unrelated things were like, you know, causing this for me, like causing this like extra work and stuff. Cause I'd always felt broken. I'd always wondered why I was like working harder than everyone else, but I was like, well, it's probably my trauma and like growing up in poverty. <laughs> like, yeah. and, and that's part of it for sure. But it just felt like, yeah, late in life, getting a manual or an yeah an instruction manual for my brain. And so it was great. But then there was the anger of there have been very specific times professionals could have caught this so that I could have gotten resources and a better understanding of myself sooner. But they failed me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but I, I can trace back all the way to second grade. I know the moment that my neurodivergence started being a problem and like caused me to just have like these weird communication things with like especially authority Mm -hmm. like teachers uh vps and organizations i've worked at stuff like that where i didn't understand why asking for clarification they were just like why don't you understand this and it's like well i I don't understand it because i i just don't and i'm asking you for clarification you won't give it to me so like you're setting me up for failure Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's so I, I've worked through a lot of like the not so great feelings of it and I'm in a better place now with it and I'm, I'm really proud. And so like recognizing and learning that there's been such an overlap with the LGBTQ plus community and being ADHD and autistic has just been really great because for once in my life, when I find other people who are at the intersection of being neuroqueer, mm-hmm. they're my people and I don't worry about like masking or things like that. Like we can info dump and it's good and wh- whatever, you know, um, I'd say the only bump I experienced and I don't have a solution for is like, at what point do like my sensory needs or something like impede on someone else? And then what, like if I need this thing in a particular space to be present, but someone else needs this thing and there's not like a good like spectrum to work from there, Mm -hmm. it's like ends up being something that's very like binary. And what do we do? Mm -hmm. 
And that doesn't feel great because like I need my needs and they need their needs. So like, at what point does that boundary, like, where is that boundary? And then what happens? Yeah. So I'm thinking about, I think one of the best examples I could give off the top of my head is if I need to fidget to stay present and then someone else is incredibly distracted by that, mm-hmm. but we're in a learning space and we need those things and that's valid, but then how do you accommodate both of those? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I shouldn't be asked to like have to go to the back of a room or something to be able to fidget. So I'm not with an eyesight of people, mm-hmm. but maybe that is like a kind of sort of a halfway point. So I don't know. So those kinds of things don't feel as great, but I'm, I'm incredibly proud to be at this intersection. I'm incredibly proud to be a part of these communities. And even though I took like the queer pipeline first, mm-hmm. uh, I would have gotten here eventually, but it's just sad that I spent so much time thinking there was something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Versus like just being able to understand that I need different things, which makes perfect sense to me now. But yeah, I just wish it could have been identified sooner. Yeah. The competing access needs thing is is hard when you have, you know, two individuals or groups that need different things to feel okay. And I, I think we've talked about that in the past on the podcast in in, con- in context of um, classrooms, really, like that there's this push now for integrated learning spaces for uh, disabled and abled people, which is such a weird binary that doesn't really exist, but that spectrum of folks. Um, but actually, in, in some cases, having an integrated classroom is going to mess up everybody. Like, it's not going to serve anyone in that population. Um, and um, it, sometimes we, we do actually need to split up a little bit, though maybe not by that binary framing that um, has been historically what's used. And I, I sort of wonder if if we need to take a whole a whole new set of lenses to to the problem of competing access needs and, and try to figure out like, okay, well, you know, you need to fit it. Cool. They need to have complete silence and stillness. Cool. How can we, you know, rejigger what we're doing to accommodate both folks equally as, you know, as best you can. And sometimes there's constraints, budget, time, whatever, whatever, but um, really it should be possible. Like in an ideal world, it should be possible. Um, yeah. Well, I, it comes back to a lack of resources, right? Because yeah. like, I've been interviewed on podcasts before and they're just like, well, you know, how, you know, you were, <laughs> I, I can't think of the phrasing off the top of my head right now. Maybe you can help me uh, refresh my memory, but basically just like being like, you're autistic. Like, how do you, how do you deal with it? Like, it's mm-hmm. such a bad thing or something. And it, I, I have to keep coming back to like it's this terrible diagnosis or something and there's a stigma to it yeah yeah i forget the exact word they tend to use though there's like a specific phrasing when they say it so oh you like you're suffering from autism oh yeah i'm suffering from society like here's the thing yeah we're all gonna end up disabled at some point if not Mm -hmm. now and you know in different ways but like there's just certain there's certain needs we've accommodated like glasses Mm -hmm. stairs so like it really isn't that hard to like then just further a little bit more and make sure that there are things like ramps and that they do have certain clearance or whatever. Like, I don't think it's that big of a deal to make sure that like anyone possible for that particular space can access it if they need to and not create more additional barriers. Like why does the burden have to be on me to have to pay all this extra money to get access to like the care and services I need just to try to be anywhere near as successful as someone else. Like that's just, it's just not fair. Like I don't understand why people can't get with the whole program of looking out for each other is a good thing and recognizing Mm -hmm. that we all have differences and we all have different needs. Like, which is why, like, instead of, this is like one of the things I talk about a lot, um, 
rather than the golden rule, which most of us have been taught at some point, it spans cultures, religions, et cetera, like treat others the way you want to be treated. Like that's how we operate. And that's actually part of the problem. But if instead we adopt the platinum rule, which was coined in the 1970s, that says treat others the way they want to be treated. Exactly. And that makes so much more sense. Mm-hmm. Like not everyone wants to be treated the same. I'm not saying like we're going to roll out a red carpet for people who request that, but like, you know, like it's just help people get their needs met. I really don't think it's that hard, like for us to pull together and do that. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I also think that there's this, um, especially with health outcomes, with disability um, specifically, there's this sort of meritocracy idea of like, well, if I do things right, I won't ever become disabled, right? And, or I will never get a diagnosis or I will never, you know, whatever. And it's, it's, it's capitalism, right? It's, (laughs) it's Protestantism, but it's so baked in that I think people are really, it's scary to think, hey, I could do everything perfectly, but I still might get disabled, be disabled when I'm, especially when I'm older, right? Physical disability is mostly what people are thinking of. And I I think it's so scary for a lot of folks to have to think through that and break this idea that if I do everything right, it it won't happen to me, that people just won't, they won't ever get there. Like they're too scared to get there. And I think part of the work is, is that kind of raising of recognition that, yeah, like the, it's, nine and a half out of 10 people, I think is the percentage of folks who will experience disability in their life, whether that's a quote unquote disability like autism, which many of us, some of us feel is a disability and some of us don't, but there's a social aspect too, or a physical disability, uh, like, I don't know, a, a vision impairment or, you know, which we can support with glasses or a physical impairment that we can support with other, um, movement support. I can't think of the word for like wheelchairs and yeah, mobility aids. Yeah, mobility aids. Thank you. Something that really struck me that you said like possibly a whole 15 minutes ago, so I'm sorry, <laughs> um, okay. was the word broken that um, when you, um, I don't want to mis misframe what you said, but that there was this experience of feeling brokenness. And one of the reasons my brain latched on is because I've heard clients use that word. And I think I've even used that word in interviews before in terms of how I felt around um, being neurodivergent before I knew I was neurodivergent, that I was just a broken neurotypical person. But also around in queer folks, I hear people use the word broken a lot in terms of I'm a broken straight person or cis person before they come to the recognition of themselves as queer. And I'm just using that word as a broad spectrum because I will mess up if I have to say six words because I slur and all these things. Um, And to me, when I heard you say that, my brain kind of went, that right there, I think, is part of the intersectional piece of, of neuroqueerness that 
you know, there, um, there is, and I'm sure in lots of other identities too, but there is this sort of feeling that sort of, sort of, you know, punk feeling of, of not fitting into the norm and needing to do something different in order and find your people, um, in order to feel not broken and to feel like, actually I'm a whole human being. Um, I'm capable. I'm in, uh, I'm autonomous, you know, um, I can create a collective and a community, um, in this unbroken space. Um, but you have to like, come to this awareness of yourself outside of the norms before you can do that. Um, well, and then, I mean, so many people treated me like I was a problem. I was heavily bullied for a number of reasons, but the only time it was embraced when they saw like how they could take advantage of it. And what I mean by that is by the time I was in eighth grade, the school and the eighth grade council had caught wind that my ADHD ass knew all sorts of things like Mm -hmm. how to make it so that we could do karaoke and have like a competition. And I was DJing parties and all this stuff. So once they figured out I could do all that stuff, then it's like, Oh, we love you. And then the bullying started to subside. And it's like, Mm -hmm. so it took me like showing that I had any sort of value to you. You just couldn't inherently believe in my worth and dignity as Mm -hmm. a human being. So like, absolutely. Like, and then, you know, it's also a very capitalist way to look at people, but I also your, point like i've been trying so hard to come up with like a new initialism or ideally an acronym to like help talk about the lgbtq plus community because i know not everyone embraces queer which would save a lot of us i think but i i want to come up with something and i've been having a heck of a time finding a way to like make sure i'm including everyone in that who wants to be included but it's a challenge (laughs) part of it has what has been driving it even more so is i think the longer the initialism gets, I think the more ableist it is because I don't think it's as it's accessible. And I, this is the first time I think I'm saying that publicly, but like I wholeheartedly feel that way. And that's one of the driving factors for me trying to come up with a new one. So I did and, but I've been getting some critique about it. So I'm trying to go back to the the drawing board on it. Um, and but yeah, it, I'm having a, a heck of a time to make sure that everyone who sees themselves in this particular community could see that. Um, in that new, I think an acronym will be best. So it's easier for people to pronounce, Yeah. but I, uh, yeah, I, I do. I think it's incredibly ableist. So it's, I'm not saying like, don't include and make sure we include people. And I know that a plus sign is temporary and it's not going to mm-hmm. make everyone feel good that they're just part of the plus. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, well, then what falls under the plus, but yeah, but I, I do want to find a way to, to get there. And I, that's the other thing too, is like, Again, if we were looking at the platinum role and embracing that, not everyone's going to use the same language, but I don't want to use terms like that we'll see that are academic, like a marginalized sexuality or something like I don't yeah, like gender and sexuality minorities. Sure, you can use that academically, but that's not what I'm going to walk around calling myself. No. And I also think, you know, using the term marginalized centers the people we're not trying to say, like it centers the people in power and it's like the people in power are already centered. I don't need to recenter them. I need to, you know, something to talk about everybody else. And um, I get stuck on wars. I I am a sort of a, a brain kind of person. I think a lot. I'm kind of cognitively, that's how I interpret all the stuff that comes into my body and my brain is through. And I think the use of how we use language is really important. But I also find um, perhaps just as somebody who doesn't particularly like social media and stuff that people use language to exclude more than they use to include that if I use a certain word that somebody doesn't like, because we're say on Instagram, a worldwide platform, 
right? There's going to be a word that's super common where I live that it means something totally different somewhere else. And you can actually talk to me about that, like as a human, where we're trying to understand each other and collaborate together, or we can fight about it, which doesn't really serve anybody from my perspective. Um, And I think there's also this challenge with this kind of binary thinking. Um, Well, one way to say it is that a lot of us, when we're coming to understand how we want to identify, we're creating an in-group and an out-group, right? We're saying, I'm this kind and you're this kind. And those labels can be important for understanding our identity. But also over time, those labels become exclusionary. They become binary, right? And um, that's not to say that a label is never useful, but that there needs to be space in in our in our framing and our wording to both identify ourselves and still recognize that there's a spectrum or there's an umbrella of however you want to, whatever kind of word you want to use there. Um, right. To include folks who aren't quite in the identifier and aren't quite out of the identifier. Like, it's too easy to get stuck in these binaries, I think. Um, but that's really hard practically when you're working with individual real people who need individual real solutions to problems. You can't just be like, you know, um, well, you're autistic, so, and you're not autistic, so, or you're queer, and so, and you're not queer, so, or you're trans, and so, and you're not trans, and so. It's just not helpful. So I don't know. I get really stuck up on that. And so part of me really likes the idea of having a term that embraces everybody. And part of me is like, but then what about the people who are outside that term? There's always going to be some that are sort of uh, educations, edge cases, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. So I get well, really it's stuck. Also, oh, same. I mean, Very that's why I stopped using me. trans. <laughs> no, same. I, you know, yeah. we create this hell for ourselves sometimes. But yeah, no, like la- not this last September. Sorry, that got the- me really good. We just create hell for <laughs> Like last September, I stopped. I stopped um, using trans to describe mm-hmm. my experience because, yeah, it to me, it creates another binary that I don't think we need. And also because, like, it continues to conflate sex with gender, which people are already confused about. So I oh, feel yeah. like telling people, well, my assignment at birth doesn't align with my gender identity now or however you want to say that, like, who needs to know that? That's it going back matter. to the whole genitals thing. Yeah. No one needs to know that. But so to your point, that was the feedback I got is the the ac- the acronym I came up with is just too encompassing. Mm-hmm. So it's it's sorogi meant to like rhyme with like pierogies, um, but it's sexual orientation, romantic orientation, gender, and then intersex. And the reason gender being like uh, standing in for gender identity, gender expression, and then intersex because there are folks who are in their intersex community mm-hmm. who consider themselves to be part of the LGBTQ plus community. And there's folks who don't, but like, yeah, I wanted to separate it out, like based on what we're talking about and maybe there's stuff I'm missing there, but people felt like it wasn't inherently like queer enough or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, I agree, but they're so like, they saw like the, the plus and the minus of it, the plus being, well, it does expand it to more people and the minus being, but it's not specific that it's also like queer and trans people or LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. or whatever. And I'm like, well, uh, that so the phrasing would be like people of sorogi experiences, mm-hmm. but then I wouldn't say sorogi people. I would say specifically who I'm talking about. The same yeah. way that like we might say people of global majority mm-hmm. versus like queer people, unless we're specifically talking about people who embrace and identify with queer. Yeah. Um. 
but yeah, saying like the specific people and not always lumping us together. And I, I'm not saying like, I'm also trying to give like a point to those who are part of like the lesbian, gay and bisexual communities that are like very anti-trans, non-binary and stuff and like get away from our movement. We're different because there are folks like that. But, oh yeah. Yeah. It's just hard because, because then like part of what works with the initialisms and this is the last thing, last thing I'll say for now on that, <laughs> but part of what works is if we look to our, our neighbors to the North, like they include two S mm-hmm. for two spirit in their initialism, usually right at the very beginning. So I think like when I teach on this kind of stuff and I talk about how you can figure out which language to use, and there's a lot of different methods. Like one of the things is like geographically what's being mm-hmm. used to honor certain cultures, et cetera. But also um, you want to reflect the language that people are using and want to use. And that's going to change over time. And that's cool. But yeah, like it also can show people's priorities. So there was a period of time I worked with like the folks who organized Los Angeles pride. And because I was their second ever outstanding youth honoree awardee. They realized like that their categories weren't always inclusive because I was like one of the first like non-binary people that they were coming across. And so they started making changes and they actually changed temporarily their initialism to T LGB mm-hmm. because they wanted to emphasize that like while they're showing up for the entire community, they realized they need to focus a lot more on the trans community because yeah. of like all of the hate crimes and everything and just like how much more discrimination we might experience, especially at certain intersections. So I think it can also show and reflect like cultural values and who you're choosing to put first. So, but yeah, there's just a lot to yeah. say on that. We could talk about this forever, oh, yeah. but it's, it's challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think, I don't know that anybody could come to a, a resolution, right. In, in any amount of time, but rather just to point kind of gesture in the direction that it's complicated. It's, uh, located specifically in certain geographic places, cultural places, language places, you know, and that's kind of the case, um, whether you're talking about sort of queer issues or say neurodivergent, like I've talked about how, you know, in, in some places, autistic is what we prefer in some places, geographically, people with autism is preferred. That's not the case in the US. Um, but it doesn't mean that like, you know, this is a case of, again, you put it on Instagram, and somebody somewhere will be like, well, where I live, it's this and it's like, that's awesome. That's cool. But we, we, there can be both, right. That there can be localized language for certain kinds of concepts and ideas and places of relationship and also um, less localized language. Like we're, we're aiming towards the universal language. We're not there yet. Universal language is really hard. Yeah. Like that's why, like when I, when I teach on this kind of stuff, I say like hold space for like both of those to Mm -hmm. be true. Understand there are going to be people who prefer disabled and there's going to be people who prefer person with a disability and just like mirror what your local community says. So if you have local LGBT centers and maybe use that initialism, Mm -hmm. right. Or like see what the queer, et cetera, organizations around you are using and then ask like your own employees or Mm -hmm. the, the clients you serve, like what language like best reflects their experiences and just adopt that and understand it's going to change over time. Like it was a massive deal and it was, I would bet incredibly expensive when the LA LGBT center used to be the gay and lesbian center Mm -hmm. and then changed their name. Yeah. I, I know people think that's an easy change. It's really not. I say that as someone who's like about to change um, legally their name for the second time and the last time ever. Like it is a paperwork nightmare. It's expensive. There's a lot of hoops you have to go through. It's not that easy, but I'm glad they did that because their services had expanded so much. You would have never known they had like a trans health clinic Mm -hmm. and things like that. So yeah, we we have to change. And so like, that's why I also say like, understand this is true right now. 
And because of cultural changes, this information can change at any point. But right mm-hmm. now, these are the best guidelines. And these, yeah. this is the language to use. And again, hold space that there are going to be people outside of this. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then just use what they're preferring in that particular case. So, but there's easy ways to set this all up. So it's not, because I, I, I imagine there's maybe people listening right now that are like, okay, but that's impossible. How are you going to do that for everyone? <laughs> it's like, it's really easy, actually. Like a lot of it is using gender neutral language and then like asking people what they prefer. And then like, if you're a doctor or something, you could just put it in their chart, mm-hmm. ask them, you know, like, are you sexually active versus assuming there's, you know, which holds space for people who may be asexual mm-hmm. or, um, or, or whatever, you know, and you're not like putting a particular partner. Um, you're not saying how many partners they may mm-hmm. have just, you know, you're starting there and then like yeah. the person can share to their comfort level mm-hmm. and you can share why you're asking. It's like, well, trying to see if there's any chance that you might be pregnant, wh- whatever, you know, yeah. and just like, just get to it. Just ask people, let them know mm-hmm. why you're asking. Yeah, I think that directly, I mean, as an autistic person, of course, I really like direct language and uh, try to help folks learn how to use more direct language. But I think a lot of times, you know, politeness norms are such that uh, we're not asking the thing we mean because we think there's something rude about it. And really asking the thing you mean is most likely to cut directly to supporting the person, you know, saying, you know, could you be pregnant? Um, do I, should, should we, you know, run a, just to run with your your metaphor, you know, should we be running an SDI panel? You know, do you have any questions about, you know, this kind of stuff? It it really just, uh, you know, cuts straight through to what the concern is. And it lets you establish rapport with that person in a way that wouldn't happen if you were like, well, how many partners do you have? And, you know, what's your genitalia like right now? Like, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I just very I mean, much agree. That stuff can be important to certain extents. Oh yeah. And like, you can always get there. But yeah, don't ask me, have you had surgeries? Which surgeries have you had when literally all you're trying to understand is how have I previously been under anesthesia? Exactly. Just ask, Just that. ask that then. You literally don't that. need to ask me all these invasive questions mm-hmm. and then I have to tell you why I had these surgeries or whatever, like yeah. why I have a flat chest. No, just... If, if that's it's the irrelevant. real thing you're trying to get to, mm-hmm. just ask that. And I can tell you, I do just fine. Yeah. So far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it. And hopefully into the future as well. Yeah. Yes. Fingers crossed. Oh. Thank you so much. Um, can you let folks know where people can find you, hire you, learn about, you know, all the stuff you do? Yeah. I think the easiest way to find me is to go to hicharlieocean.com. Like, hi, like, hello to somebody. Not hi, like a play on living in the mile high city or something else (laughs) related to being in Colorado and things being legal. But yeah, that's probably the easiest way and almost everywhere, including LinkedIn and Instagram, where I spend the most time. It's high Charlie ocean. Awesome. Thank you so much. And there'll be links down below folks. So please go check them out. Um, We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. So thank much. you so much for joining us on the Neurodiverging Podcast today. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, please go support the podcast at patreon.com slash neurodiverging or leave a review wherever you are listening to this or watching this podcast. Reviews really help other folks find us and we really appreciate them. And it's a free way to support us. Please go find Charlie at HiCharlieOcean.com to learn more about all of their offerings. Um, They're an amazing speaker, and I hope that you will check them out and maybe throw some business their way, please. Thank you so much for listening today. And please remember, we are all in this together.
Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved, Dadages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgle. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Dadages. That's D-A-D-A-G-E-S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.